This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 222 and I am having one of my favorite people in naturopathic medicine on the show today. My golly is this woman well-researched and incredible solution maker for people in the chronic illness space, specifically experiencing mast cell activation issues uh, and environmental toxicities and chronic illness uh, due to those. Um, Beth O'Hara, Dr. Beth O'Hara is joining me today and it felt like I was catching up with an old friend. It was just one of those conversations, perhaps because we've both got chronic illness backgrounds, um, where we really felt a kindred spirit vibe from the get-go and uh, I, I couldn't be happier to be bringing you her work. So, To give you a little idea uh, and just run through some of her bio points, uh, she works with clients with mast cell activation syndrome. Now, if you don't know what that is yet, I urge you to listen forward because the symptoms are wide and many. And uh, if you have been experiencing issues, you just don't feel like you're thriving or operating from your best place, uh, this could very well be something that you need to tune into. Uh, If you have friends that you know are in that boat as well, please do go and share the show either on social or um, screen grabbing it and texting it to a friend. I just know how much uncovering um, MCAS, which is what mast cell activation syndrome is short for, uh, is long for if you like, um, how much That has helped me uh, in my recovery journey from um, horrific mold illness compounded by EMF sensitivity. Um, And I I just know how many people this is going to help. So that's why I'm so excited. So that's the space that Beth works in. She's a functional naturopathic and functional genetic analyst. Uh, She has a doctorate in naturopathy specialized in functional naturopathic approaches a master's in marriage and family therapy. So there's a beautiful, compassionate undertone to all of the work that Beth does. You can feel her compassion and sympathy, uh, like just through every email, through every sentence she speaks. It's really beautiful. Uh, It's not just about the knowledge, it's about transformation for people. And you can really, really feel that. She's very passionate about root cause findings uh, and the key that those root causes hold to long-term health and wellness. Uh, And after decades of seeing traditional healthcare practitioners herself, she felt like she was at the end of her rope uh, at one point in time. Medications often made her worse. Uh, Being given the wrong supplements wasn't helping either. She went down all sorts of complementary medicine uh, avenues and Uh, We hear her personal journey as well in a particular point of today's episode about 10 minutes in. 
So that's a really um, powerful way for you to see why she's a woman on such a mission uh, as she is today. So she's been practicing for over 10 years now, has helped hundreds of clients, and I would actually say thousands now with her digital products, uh, being able to reach so many more people. She lives in Cincinnati, Ohio with her husband of 10 years and two gorgeous fur babies. So uh, I will kick into that interview in just a little second. We speak about mast cell activation. We speak about root causes. We speak about the complexity of chronic illness recovery. Uh, and uh, there are many, many solutions and answers in today's uh, podcast rather than just sharing knowledge. Certainly a lot to move you along your way if uh, that's something you're interested in. As a practitioner, this is going to be a really helpful uh, show for you as well. Uh, we also talk about how mast cell activation uh, is not the same as histamine issues. Uh, and she'll break down the biochemistry there um, so that we're really, really clear on definitions um, and compartmentalize in a more effective way so that we know what we're dealing with uh, on a personal level. People can have MCAS and not have histamine issues, but often people with histamine issues have MCAS. So um, I, uh, I, I think it's going to be useful for a lot of people on that front as well. Uh, so something that I, of course, need to remind you of is that we were in the middle of February now, and uh, that means we have a wonderful sponsor. If you didn't tune in last week, you're going to love this, Australians, because you guys have been asking me to partner with a complete home filtration service for a long time because a lot of you are homeowners and want to be able to install really great filtration for your entire house so that every time you turn on a tap, you're not having a little side of chlorine or pesticide runoff right along there with it when you're relaxing in your bath or drinking a glass of water. And so Complete Home Filtration is the company that I have partnered with to bring you varying degrees of water filtration. So you can chat to them about what the offering is, different strokes for different folks, different budgets, different options, kitchen only, whole house, lots of different details. But the deal is sweet. It's 20% off the recommended retail price for the Lotox audience. You don't have any fancy codes or anything. You just give them a buzz and let them know that you heard about them through the Lotox Life uh, podcast and they will uh, get you sorted. So in WA, New South Wales and Queensland, you can actually have testing done where they have their offices, but all over Australia, you can actually benefit from the whole house filtration services that they offer. You just might need to book your own local plumber um, in to uh, fit it. Uh, but they will take you through all of the details. It's a 20% discount. And on top of that, you will also receive a free set of refill filters valued at $199 for the whole house system or $300 for the premium system. Uh, which includes the reverse osmosis for the kitchen, um, which is a wonderful one if you're uh, concerned about fluoride and maybe your doctor's told you to perhaps uh, remove that from your drinking water supply. I'm not trying to be controversial. There's just as many countries in the world that fluoridate as don't, and uh, there are many public health debates and uh, reasons for this either way. So if that's something you're passionate about, either way, you actually can be looked after by the Complete Home Filtration guys. 
Um, so there you have it. Uh, they're a great company, a local business, really passionate about what they do. And uh, their technology is world leading uh, to target even the hardest to remove contaminants. So head to completehomefiltration.com.au and uh, and jump on a call with uh, one of their team to have a chat about what might be the best solution for you guys. I'm so excited to bring this because I know a lot of you have wanted it for a long time and uh, I hope you enjoy. So my last little thing is to welcome some of the people who've joined the Low Tox Club this week. We've had, I think, just under 10 new members uh, and I want to welcome you all. It's a reminder that it's only $49 for a whole year. I was going to say month then. That would be a little exy. Um, and uh, that's in Australian dollars. So if you're American or European, that's more like 30 euro or American dollars. And uh, for that, you get the club dashboard. You have some monthly content. We produce a little ebook on different aspects of leading a low-tox life. Right now, we're in the middle of um, an investment um, and uh, impact savings, you know, thinking of changing your insurance, banking, etc. We put together a whole bunch of resources in that space for our club members. Uh, and next month, we've decided uh, on the topic already, and that is breathing and breath work, uh, the many different philosophies, exercises that we can use to enhance the effectiveness of our breathing, enhance our whole body oxygenation, uh, and of course, calm our immune and nervous system responses uh, to healthy responses. Um, so I'm really excited about that month as well. So each month there's a topic. You've also, of course, got the wonderful private Facebook group. Uh, and we often put on special guests. We've got a wonderful expert panel joining us this year for Q&As. So you can access people who are at the top of their field in different low-tox areas, which I'm super excited about. Uh, and then we often have show guests say, look, you know, if you want to do a follow-up Q&A, for example, with uh, Alan Christensen, we're going to be doing a thyroid Q&A for the club members just so that anyone who had questions after last week's show can dig a little deeper and get more personalized recommendations and advice from Alan himself. Uh, we did that uh, a couple of times last year as well with building biologists and other health professionals. So jump in and join us. All you have to do is hit the explore tab on lowtoxlife.com. And the very first option is join the club. I'll see you in there and enjoy today's show with Dr. Beth O'Hara. Hello, Beth. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with you, Alex. I found that this topic is often a game changer for people. Yeah, it is huge. And I know I have had to, it sucks to be a pioneer, right? And a first person going through things in your circle, because often you're the one that has to piece together every tiny little crumb of research here, there and everywhere. And when I saw your um, Mass Cell 360 come online, I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be so helpful for people because you really bring so much of modern, how do I fix this, don't think I can fix this, symptomology, chronic illness, uh, symptoms that just do not go away and you just feel like the most sensitive individual in the planet, reacting to everything, you actually give people hope and I'm very, very excited to um, bring your knowledge to our audience. Oh, thank you. It's my life passion and mission to take the nightmares I went through education I had to get to heal my body and get my life back. If I can take that and I can use it to help people, 
then it makes it worth it to have gone through. Hundred percent. I feel exactly the same way, and I'm in now that phase of personal healing, which is on more of a mental front, uh, where I my mantra is I don't have to be sick to lead. You know, mm. like because you don't want to stay. Like you don't want people to feel like, oh, it's the constant suffering that is helping me um, feel better about my suffering. It's like no, we actually need to learn to deeply heal and lift people up. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Um, okay, so let's just dive right in here. What are mast cells? What is MCAS, MCAS? And how do we maybe know we're actually experiencing this to some degree in our lives? Yeah, great question. Well, I want to start with just the kind of a big picture and then drill into some of this. So big picture, mast cell activation syndrome is one of the most overlooked and underrecognized conditions affecting people across the world right now. And it's affecting between nine and 17% of the general population. So that means at least one in 10, maybe one in nine or one in 8.5. And that's not an observational statistic. That is what the research studies show. And what this is, is where the immune system has become so dysregulated from chronic toxins, chronic pathogens and infections that we're having trouble getting rid of because of chronic toxins and chronic inflammatory triggers, things like EMFs, throws off the immune system. And because we have these mast cells in every tissue in the body nearly, almost everywhere except like the cornea. So anywhere you can think of, 99% likely there are mast cells there. And these mast cells are the frontline sensors and defenders of the immune system. So they are there to sense when there's trouble. And so I like to think of them as like the sentinels or the guards of our castle gate. And our whole bodies are lined with them. Our, our skin, the inside of our nasal passages, our sinuses, the whole GI tract from the mouth all the way through, the bladder, the urethra, the genitals, the cardiovascular system, our muscles, our bones, everywhere has mast cells, the brain and the nervous system. And these mast cells, so fascinating to me, Alex, because they have hundreds of these receptors on the outside and that's how they're sensing what's happening. They also respond to stress in a big way. So this is important and we'll come back to that. And then they're communicating to the rest of the body. They're communicating to the nervous system and the nervous system's communicating to them. They're communicating to hormones. They're communicating in the gut. They're involved in the brain and they're in the brain. So they are really at the center of a lot of what happens in our bodies. So we need to know that because there are hundreds of thousands of people who are falling through the cracks in healthcare and they have these mystery conditions and they're going to the allergist here and they're going to the GI doctor and they might be going to a psychiatrist because they have sleep issues, anxiety, and depression. And we end up with two, three, four, five, six specialists, but nobody's tying together what are the links and the links are generally these toxins, these chronic infections, these inflammatory triggers. 
And I think of it like if we have a wheel with spokes and we we have all these mystery symptoms and I'll talk about some of the symptoms here in a moment. We have these mystery symptoms and we're just going, touching this side of the wheel and touching that side, trying to get this handled. We're not going to get to the core of it. And then what we have is we have all of these toxins and pathogens and things like EMFs, inflammation triggers, stress, whether it's just daily life stress from the kind of cultures we live in or you know, severe trauma, all along that spectrum affects us. And if we look at what ties these systems together, the mast cells are one of the core pieces there. It's this mast cell nervous system link, really. And so mast cell activation syndrome can be really challenging for practitioners to understand that this is what's happening for this person in front of them. The reason, and this is why so many people are falling through the cracks, is that the mat, people don't have, there's not like a classic mast cell presentation. Mm. People don't, it's not like, oh, well, if you have these set of symptoms, it's probably mast cell. And is that because they can activate anywhere in the body anytime? So it can lead people down an investigative path that's more compartmentalized? Kind of, yeah. So it's like, it's because we have them in so many systems. And then it depends on what are the root triggers. Are we looking at mold? Are we looking at Lyme? Are we looking at EMF triggers? What other chemical toxins, stress, trauma? How does that interact with our genetics in the environment that we live in? And then that is going to give us our symptom presentation based on the systems that are affected. And so again, what this means is that people are going to have very different presentations. And this is why Mass activation syndrome was only given an official diagnosis code in 2016. It was considered theoretical before then. And it's still not taught in medical schools. I just had a a third year medical student email me this weekend and say, I want to learn everything I can about mass activation syndrome. We're not being taught it. What do, where, where can I get started? Because I know this is huge. And it's just, it takes medical schools 10, 20, sometimes 30 years to catch up with the research. And so here are some symptom presentations. So people thinking, do I have this? We wanna think about systems. So we can think one generally, people sometimes have kind of general fatigue, not feeling well, things like that. We think, well, that could happen in a lot of conditions. Well, if it affects the skin, you will get what is considered the stereotypical mast cell presentation. But this is what's taught to allergists and immunologists, but is not always present is things like flushing or like, I'm always ruddy, I have ruddy cheeks. I never wear blush because if I do, I'm going to look like a clown. So I just naturally have red cheeks. And but some people are very pale. So you can get this ruddy or this pale complexion. You can get things like psoriasis, eczema, most skin conditions can be linked to mast cell overactivation, um, itching, rashes, hives, those kinds of things. Then you can have like your classic allergy symptoms. So these are like itchy, watery, runny eyes, runny nose, congestion, those kinds of things. I have a lot of people who don't have any of those symptoms at all. 
So some people, those mast cells are not overactivated. They're not a problem. What might be a problem are the GI mast cells. And so they have mouth burning or they might have acid reflux or they may have diarrhea or constipation. They may get nausea. They might start feeling bad within anywhere from a few seconds of putting food in their mouth to a half an hour. Um, could be reactions can be delayed up to two or three days that are mast cell kind of reactions. So there's those GI, you can get symptoms. You can get respiratory symptoms. So this is going to be like your asthma, your wheezing, your tightness in the chest, these kinds of things. Or shortness of breath. Shortness of breath. Mm. Um, there's a, like a post-nasal drip that happens mm. for some people. And then you get a throat clearing from like, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I know my husband and I got together. I would do this all the time. And he'd be like, what? And I'd be like, I'm <laughs> just trying to get to move. They don't need <laughs> And we did this for like a year until he finally realized, like, I'm not trying to get his attention. <laughs> and so um, some people have that, but not everybody. Mm-hmm. Then we have the reproductive system and it's linked with endometriosis. It's linked with fertility issues. Um, it's linked with menstrual pain and hormone issues and all kinds of menstruation trouble. It's um, their mast cells in the prostate. It's going to be involved in prostate inflammation for men. Their mast cells in the liver. And there's research that's shown that mast cells are linked with elevated liver enzymes. And so again, if you think about the system and the brain, I don't want to leave out the brain and the nervous system. So if we've got involvement in the brain and nervous system, we'll get things like insomnia, sometimes severe, and mine was just horrible. Mm. that's one of the worst I think one of the worst things to deal with with oh totally because of the chain reaction of not enough sleep is huge yeah Yeah. and people get anxiety they get depression or just this lack of pleasure in life you just kind of you feel like a zombie Mm. or you can feel depersonalized and things like that can one of the brain symptoms sorry just to interrupt there just in case this can be added you know that scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where he's connecting up the lights and then the huge blow up happens. Sometimes when I was at the height of mold illness, I felt like my brain was lit up like a Griswold oh, house. Yes. And it was just like, oh my God, someone find the plug and switch it off. It was yes, and that's exactly where it was going. Is so what's happening is well, one we need our mast cells to survive and they've kind of gotten been getting a bad rap. Like you need to just shut that mast cell activation down. It's like, no, because the mast cells are protecting us. They're protecting us from the toxins. They're, they're needed in injury recovery. We only shut them down. If you shut them down, you're not going to recover. Like you're not going to heal wounds or ligament tears and things like that. So they're needed in that. They're needed in um, pregnancy. They're needed in a lot of processes and building new neural pathways in the brain. So we need them. What's happened is that we live in such a toxic world now. And because we live in such a toxic world and we have these unprecedented levels of toxins and we have EMF exposure like we've never had in human history, then I think of it like the mast cells are, if they're like the guards of the castle gate, if you had a castle that ran normally, your guards would be on guard and then they take a rest and then they'd be on guard and then they get a break and, and you wouldn't be at war 24 seven. Right. But what we have is this constant onslaught 
And so they're having it. There's never a break. There's never ability to recharge. Regenerate. They're like Amazon workers. Oh, yeah. It's horrific. And so, Mm. And so, and these mast cells have over a thousand different chemicals inside them that mm. they, they're really fascinating intelligent cells. Mm. We can give the word intelligent to a cell and they're responding selectively to all kinds of things. But then if you were, couldn't sleep and you were at war for 24 seven for months or years on end, you would get just kind of wonky. And that's what happens. They get dysregulated. And so instead of just going at the toxin or going at the pathogen, now they can't distinguish pathogen, toxin, broccoli. And so they start shooting at or firing at things we, we don't want to, like the butterflies, that just metaphorically, right? Things that should be safe. They can't tell the difference anymore. And so this means that we have to clean these things up that are underneath triggering it, just like the mold. So the mold... I had the same thing and it felt like fireworks in my brain is how I describe it. It was painful. And I, I couldn't, I'd never experienced anything like that. Well, the mold is triggering the nervous system and the mast cell. So it's affecting the nervous system signaling and causing all this mast cell inflammation in the brain. So your brain actually is swelling against the skull because there should be a tiny micro space between the brain and the skull. You get brain inflammation, it just swells right into the skull. My brain would just feel hot and on fire. Yeah. 100%. Mm. That's what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on, right? And it's so easy to see how people feel like they end up only being able to eat three safe foods or live in yeah. a perfectly pristine location because, um, as Ashok Gupta says in his Gupta retraining, brain retraining program, um, you know, it's not that these things are dangerous. It's not that even a tiny bit of mold in a bathroom corner is dangerous. It's just that your body is so fired up and looking for danger that it just goes off at everything. And uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And we actually have mast cells in the limbic system, mm-hmm. which the Gupta program is retraining. Yes. And, and I want to talk about that more as we get into more depth is these links yeah, and I think it's fascinating. The Gupta program, I was just talking with Ashok earlier today, is this, this is um, one of the core pieces of our Mass Cell 360 approach. Yeah. Is rebooting the nervous system. Yeah. And that uh, yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. So, how do we differentiate between mast cell activation as a syndrome? And someone who's just got like a little bit of a histamine intolerance, not producing enough of the enzyme to process histamine in foods, for example, or every now and then having an allergic reaction to a flower. Is there a a clear difference in the the diagnosis? There is, and it's a great question. So if we first define more let's talk about histamine intolerance, which is exactly what you said. So we, um, our bodies are always making histamine, mast cells make histamine. There's other cells like basophils that make histamine. So we're naturally making it again. We need histamine. Histamine is critical in wound healing. It's critical in regulating sleep, wake cycles. It's involved in pregnancy, all these things. And so the problem happens when we're 
the histamine levels in the body are higher than what we can break down. And we're also consuming histamine. So lots, there's lots of foods. And because we eat so many processed foods and because our foods are actually trucked cross country and we're eating foods also that are older than we've ever eaten. I'm so glad you mentioned that, uh, Beth, because so often the histamine conversation revolves around all the fresh foods you can't eat or should minimize. And we're not talking about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that 50 to 60% of our trolleys are filled with long life processed foods that are very high histamine. Exactly. And if something's sitting in a can, if it's been in, um, you know, even fruit, if fruit has been picked two weeks before, it's already degrading. And if something degrades, histamine builds. And everything has some histamine. Like there really truly isn't any no histamine food. It doesn't exist other than like water, if you want to call water a food. But um, foods have some level of histamine, but they have different levels. And then some foods are just naturally much higher histamine. So these are things people might have heard of if they looked into this pineapple and strawberries, processed meats, things like salamis. Um, lunch meats, fish, very, very high histamine. And there's a real problem with histamine lists online. And unfortunately, about 95% of them are inaccurate. And that's because they're not based on the testing data. But other than wild caught salmon that was frozen on the boat, or if you're lucky enough to get other fish that was frozen, gutted and frozen right on that boat and flash frozen right away, Fission is very high histamine. And if you buy it fresh at the meat counter, you're talking histamine city, like mm. super high. So that's where people get stromboid poisoning. 100%, yeah. Where histi- people, you could die. Now, not wouldn't be alarmist. It's very rare for people to die from that in Western civilizations. But um, that's what stromboid poisoning is. It's hist- very, very high histamine from fish. So... So we have these foods we can consume and there are things that are histamine liberators like walnuts or histamine liberators, citrus. It, it um, triggers our bodies to produce more histamine. Normally it shouldn't be a problem because we have all these enzymes, things like DAO. And we have another pathway that's connected with methylation and an enzyme called HNMT. And then there are actually a number of minor enzymes that people don't talk about. There's dozens of them that also break down histamine in all kinds of pathways like glucuronidation and acetylation. And so it's really cool when you start looking in that all these ways and we have all these mechanisms, backup pathways. But for many of us in Western cultures where we just get these overloads of things, our bodies can't handle it and our mast cells are being triggered, right? So this is histamine tonics can be connected to mast cell activation, it just doesn't have to be. Um, histamine intolerance at its basics is just that you have more histamine in your body than your body can break down and get rid of. And I like to think of it, I love the sink metaphor where the histamine coming in is the water coming in from the faucet. The enzymes that break the histamine down is the drain. And if your drain is smaller, the flow through the drain is smaller than the, what comes out of the faucet, the sink will overflow and that's when you get symptoms. So histamine intolerance is just looking at histamine. Mass activation is looking at 
histamine and the hundreds of other mediators. So the latest count I've seen was from the lead, one of their lead researchers in this area, Lawrence Afrin, Dr. Afrin. And um, he's, he's stating now there's over a thousand mediators. So we're talking prostaglandins, interleukins, and a word that most of the world knows now called cytokines. And cytokines are produced by mast cells. So cytokine storms are a mast cell issue. And so you can have mast cell activation syndrome and have issues with all these other mediators and not histamine. And there are some people, now I don't know how many because there haven't been studies, but I don't see many of them, but there are a handful. I have maybe 10 people in my whole practice that just have mast cell activation and no histamine intolerance. And they can eat histamine foods and it truly doesn't trigger them. But I still ask them to do a low histamine, low lectin diet for six to eight weeks so we can make sure and see if there are any changes. Then there are people, there are a lot of people who have histamine intolerance. And I don't, there's no research. So I don't know how many have histamine intolerance and don't have mast cell activation because again, they don't need me. So they don't come to my practice. I don't see them. Most of what I see are people who have both. And when you have both, you're going to have more severe symptoms because you, can't get rid of the histamine. The histamine mast cells have these receptors again for all these different things. So the histamine is triggering the mast cells. The mast cells are making more histamine and cytokines and prostaglandins and interleukins and all these things. And then you've got more histamine that you can't get rid of. So it just becomes this cycle. Mm. So it's like they're recruiting a whole bunch of friends to come fight the good fight, um, but there's no war. <laughs> yeah, if you want to call yeah. it the good fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It doesn't feel good, but they all think they're doing, you know, they're the honorable job of protecting you. Well, it is, it is protecting because, um, you know, we can get into the rest of my story in a little bit, but when I was young, I had mysterious health issues from a very young age and severe allergies. And I'm a very classic stereotypical could walk into an allergist or immunologist and if they knew what mass activation was. If we had known 40 years ago what mast cell activation syndrome was, they could have diagnosed me. And the, there's a lot of trouble with the diagnostic criteria, but I had the covered in hives. I grew up in the country. You go up in the country here in Kentucky, you grow green beans and you pick green beans all summer long and you snap them and you can them. And I'd just be covered head to toe in hives or I'd feed the chickens and I had to feed them corn and I'd be covered head to toe in hives and I was just scratching till I bled and eyes itching. And um, so I was put on a lot of allergy medications, antihistamines and some mast cell stabilizers at a young age. And that calmed my symptoms down. And that was all people needed, knew to do, right? That's all yeah, of course. Had. But I was one of those kids where you do the scratch tests on the back with all the needles. Yeah. Oh, I hated that because mm. they couldn't even read the welts. They would just all be one big welt, like all blood. Well, the antihistamines and, the, and I was on like six or seven medications by the time I was 12. It was a lot, mm. but it calmed it down and I could function a little better, but we didn't know anything about triggers then. And we didn't know how to address triggers. And I became horribly ill, as in I almost didn't make it. So how did that, um, can you go into a bit more detail? What did that look like once it got so severe? Yeah, let me, um, 
yeah, let me go there. I just wanted to finish this part of what happened was because I only had antihistamines, it knocked out and knocked down my mast cell response. And it knocked down that part of my immune system. And what we didn't know at the time was I had severe mold toxicity, Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia. I had no defenses anymore for any of it. And so I was a little better for a few years. And then when I was 16, I was in a car accident and I just couldn't quite get going again. It was a, it was a significant car accident. I mean, I, I had, I was very sore. I was on pain meds for three months. I was out of school and it was, I couldn't get my energy back. I was exhausted and I just have to whip myself to get to school every day. And then when I went to college, um, an important part of my story is that I was extremely <laughs> obsessed with going to medical school. So much so that for my 16th birthday, all I wanted was Grey's Anatomy. Like if I could just get my hands on like a good anatomy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I didn't, I grew up in the country. So I didn't have the kind of educational experiences people have in cities. And so I was always out like finding bleached cow skeletons and try to reassemble them. And I just fascinated. And that's all I wanted in life. And I loved dissection and I wanted to be a surgeon. I really wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Well, I also pushed myself way too hard and I worked three jobs through college to pay for, for college. I mean, I had my tuition paid and my education, but I had to pay my living expenses and I was seeing graduate courses in undergrad, doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. I had a full scholarship to medical school, Alex, which is very rare to get here. And in my junior year, I completely crashed. And I could not function. I was so exhausted. I had severe muscle pain. I'd also had anxiety since I was a child, like significant. I was had a head injury at nine. And I had anxiety start. So I had to turn that scholarship down, which, and not go to medical school, which was devastating. And then I made the rounds trying to find answers. And as I, I saw anybody and everybody thought it could help from traditional medicine, I started alternative medicine. And as I was going, I was getting more sensitive to where every little medication, I remember somebody was trying to help me with my anxiety. This was one of the people who was actually a good practitioner and she believed me. Many of them just told me I was crazy because my lab tests looked normal. And yeah, I could barely drag myself out of bed by 2 p.m. There'd be so many people listening right now who'll be like, oh my gosh, I've heard that too. Yeah. Mm. And, and the anxiety was was just, I mean, I'd have panic attacks just trying. If I had the energy to drive to the grocery, if there was any traffic, I'd have a panic attack in the parking lot and turn around the hall. Mm. And it took all my energy just to get there. Yeah. So um, there was somebody who was, who was doing what she could to help and what she knew. And she gave me a medication and for the anxiety. And I took a sixth of the tablet. I cut it into six because I knew I was super sensitive my body temperature dropped to 94 and wow. I was shivering and my husband had to pick me up and put me in a bathtub because it could not warm up. And then my intestines shut down. So I couldn't have a bowel movement for a week. So I was having these kinds of sensitivities. By the time I was 28, Alex, I was walking with a cane. 
I was actually hobbling. I could barely walk to the bathroom and just like ground glass in my joints. So that's what it looked like. And I had severe insomnia for, for 10 years mm-hmm. to where I could just drift, but I couldn't deeply sleep. And eventually I became dependent on Benadryl just to be able to drift. So you can imagine I was not very functional. I was not a good time in my life. And mm-hmm. it's actually hard to remember it because it feels so foreign now to where my life was. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know, the human brain's amazing, isn't it? It really shuts off sometimes the most painful. I mean, you know, they always say a woman would never go again with childbirth if she would <laughs> really to hold on to how painful that moment was. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh. So what do you think your rock bottom was, Beth? Oh gosh. Or were there like waves of rock bottom? There were waves and waves, but there was truly a rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a year where I, I really wasn't sure I was going to make it. And at this point, I had worked with over 50 practitioners. And the best ones, each one of them told me, you're too complex. I, I'm sorry. I've never seen anybody this sick. And, and then the worst ones told me I was crazy and gave me an antipsychotic. And to a point where I believed for a while that maybe I did want to be sick. And I did, I mean, I really did everything. I did therapy for 10 years. I did homeopathy. I did shaman work, anything. Mm. I did energy work. Once I exhausted traditional medicine, then I was like, what else is out there? Because I have this drive to thrive. Mm, It's just innate in me. And so if I was going to be breathing, I was going to be working on getting well, Yeah. even if I didn't know where to turn next. But the rock bottom is a good question. I had finally found a functional medicine doctor who was the most experienced in our area. And he, it was an hour drive for me to get to him. And this was before telehealth, right? There was no telehealth or telemedicine then. So was, you had somebody in your area in your state or that's it. And so I, I got to him and he was well-trained. He knew a lot of stuff, but he, he wasn't sure what to do. We tried all the standard stuff. He'd been in functional medicine for a while. He was an early adopter of it. Um, but again, I was reacting to a tiny sprinkle of a curcumin, which was supposed to help the inflammation. I was reacting to quercetin. Just, I mean, we're talking a little sprinkle in water. And then I would have severe, worse anxiety or worse inflammation. It was just paradoxical. It didn't make sense. And I solidly tried everything he told me to try, no matter what it was, whether it made sense to me or not. And at the end of about two or three years, he just, I I really appreciate that he told me, but this was one of the hardest things to hear. He said, I don't know what else to do. He said, we've really tried everything I know and you've, you've done a good job trying everything. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I've really thought, Alex, like, well, if you don't know what to do, like, what the heck am I supposed to do? I sobbed the whole way home and it was so, my husband traveled for work at the time. So I had to drive myself and then it would like take me a week just to get out of bed again. From that drive. So I sobbed the whole way home. 
And it was also the biggest turning point. You know, it was like that dark night that changed my life. I've got a little tear in my eye because it's (laughs) bringing stuff up for me too. It's um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I, I drove home, not sure if I was going to keep going Mm. or make a choice to, to not keep going. So you're saying you had thoughts of ending your life potentially. That was how I got through my pain in my day was fantasizing hurt myself. I just wanted it to be over. If that makes sense. You know, like I wasn't actively suicidal, but I, and, and sometimes people are, but I, I needed a way to know that someday I would die and this would be over. Cause I didn't have any other, I didn't have a lot of hope other than a little inkling that somewhere there was a key that would unlock this. And that's what I just clung to. But I, I drove home and I knew at this point I had histamine intolerance and I'd already been doing low histamine. And like, I, I was super healthy. Like there wasn't a drop of sugar in my diet. I drank purified water. Like, you know, you could not get healthier space living wise than I, with what I knew. I didn't know about toxic mold. I didn't know about some other things at that time, but everything I knew I did. And I worked harder than anybody else I knew at my health. But I was one of the very early followers of Yasmina Kellenstein, who started out as low histamine chef and then became healing histamine. And um, I was in, because I was one of these early followers, we had our own little group. It was a very small group of women. And, and we would bounce ideas off each other. And Yasmina would go, hey, I'm going to write an article about vitamin C. What do you guys know? So we were kind of helping to collaborate in the areas that we could. And I was learning a lot. And I reached out in there and I said, I, this is what happened when I went to the doctor. I don't know what else to do. Like, I really, I'm in a really dark place. I had no idea if anybody answered me. But somebody did. And if from the Netherlands, who I'd never met, you know, should we just, we were in this little group together, but this group was just so supportive and like really cohesive. And, and she said, get your genetics, we're on your 23 and me. And let's take a look at it together. And she was just getting into genetics. This was like eight, nine, maybe 10 years ago, not yeah. time tracking, but somewhere around there. So there was very little out on genetics. Very little. Genetics. Yeah. It was it's incredible how quickly it's all come together. Yeah. Yeah. But there were there were really weren't very many tools there for going through the raw data or anything. Mm. But she got me started. Started looking at it, I was like, oh my gosh, well, this makes sense and this makes sense. And I have all these glutamate genes. And but I didn't understand yet at the time that it was how the triggers were interacting with my genes. It wasn't just my genes, but I got some breakthroughs. And when I got some breakthroughs there and I had the biochemistry and the pre-med background to start making sense of it, then I was able, it was like, then I was on fire, like passion-wise. I mean, it was on mm. fire in my body, <laughs> but it was on fire passion-wise. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, there really is a key. Yeah. And if I can just keep going, I'm going to find it. Yeah. And it was the turning point 
And then Yasmina started reporting on mass activation syndrome. It was like, boom, right away. I know that's what I'm dealing with. And then I was able to take that and go, okay, what do I know about mast cells? What can I learn about mast cells? What's triggering it? What's causing it? I figured out my triggers and they're, they're different for everybody. Mold is one of the biggest ones though that I see and put the pieces together. I made a ton of mistakes on the way and lots of dead ends. I learned all the wrong things to do while I was learning the right things to do. But, and it took a lot of work and a lot of time. But just like you were saying, when you're the one person in your circle and you're figuring it out, you know, that's what I was doing. And we lost Jasmina a few years ago. But I just, yeah, but I kept, um, kept going with it. And that's how Massa 360 was born, was what I was putting together. And I got well enough. I I'd always felt regretful that I didn't get to go to medical school. I don't have regrets really, but that was, had been the one regret. And I got my health back to where I went back. I got my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. I got my doctorate in naturopathy and launched mast cell 360. And every research, I, every piece of research was around mast cell activation. It was like anything. And how do we look at these root triggers? But today I run this busy practice. I work a little more than I should, but that's kind of what happens sometimes when you're a business owner. No, oh, hello. Business ownership is, um, it's never for the lightweights. That's for sure. <laughs> but I can work. I go hiking. So I went from barely hobbling with a cane to the bathroom and dreading having to go to the bathroom because I had to walk there mm. to, um, I, I just, this weekend went on a lovely hike in the woods and beautiful, no pain, no trouble. I wake up at seven 30 in the morning. unheard of for somebody who used to not be able to get a bed till 2 PM. Mm-hmm. So my life's very different. I have minimal body pain. I have some still cause of some spine injuries, but it's a different life. It's incredible, Beth. And can I ask when you were at that rock bottom and you started finding that the key was related to your genetics and how different things were interacting, what was your first trial of something that gave you like, oh my gosh, I feel a bit better today? Because that moment when you have been chronically unwell is literally like, Christmas morning for a five-year-old, even though it might be the most infinitesimal improvement, you're just so used to zero improvement or walking backwards that yeah. it's, it's like Christmas. It's incredible. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I had a Christmas moment because I was so ill. And so I really like Bob Miller is, um, was a, uh, he was a mentor for me in genetics and, and a good friend of mine. I love his metaphor, which was um, if you have 10 nails in your foot and you take one nail out, your foot's still going to really hurt till you get more nails out. So that was kind of my case. It's about about 50 nails. But I do remember early things like just the tiniest little sprinkle of GABA helped because my nervous system was really, really on fire and dysregulated. And that was part of why I was reacting to these tiny doses. I mean, that is why I was reacting to tiny doses. It wasn't causing biochemical changes. It was that my limbic and vagal signaling was so dysregulated and they are intertwined with the mast cells. They're communicating constantly back and forth. So a little sprinkle of something different and my system was in such lockdown, we call it cell danger response, that it was um, any tiny new thing. And my system was like, alarm, 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 
<laughs> Definitely not. So, but but a tiny little gamble helped me. It doesn't help everybody. What I did was I took what I could find, what I could get in testing. I did a lot of testing on myself. And I did um, any kind of genetic analysis I could do. And I was pairing these things. And then learning as I went, putting together little tiny sprinkles of things. Now, the approach I have today is very different than how I found my way through what I tell my clients sometimes is the fire swamp, right? Like in Princess Bride, we're trying to figure out how to get through the fire swamp. But um, I would make these little sludges and it started with like just one little thing and then two. And then eventually I got to where I had about 10 things on board, but there were tiny sprinkles. And it took me about two years to be able to work up to a whole capsule of anything. It was very slow. And the reason it was so slow was I did not understand the limbic and vagal pieces. Mm. That was a big change. So let me ask about that. I was thinking of asking that much later on, but it just really fits with what we're talking about right now. Um, Can you just help people understand what you mean by that? Just so that anyone who isn't hip with brain chemistry uh, can just join in and really understand what you mean by those terms and what the impact was and how that became a turning point for actually starting to tolerate higher doses of the things that were going to help you. Yeah. Well, I like teaching through stories. So I think if I tell a little story with it, um, one of the other life-changing moments for me was, so I was very science-based, you know, we need to have peer-reviewed studies and that's all that matters. And that's still important to me. But when I was 19 and in college, I was so ill and I had to have a PE credit and I couldn't, there was no way I was going to pay basketball or even pool. I wasn't, I had EDS. And so I wasn't coordinated enough to be able to play billiards or pool or anything. So the only thing I thought I possibly could do was yoga class. And granted, or you have to keep in mind, I'm in my forties, I'm older than I look. And back then, and I came from Western Kentucky, which is quite rural. We did not have a yoga studio inside anywhere. I'd never seen a yoga studio. So I had this conception that yoga was chanting Aum for an hour and then you take a nap. That's <laughs> literally what I thought yoga was. I'm actually really liking the sound of that. <laughs> so I thought, I honestly thought, uh, this I can do. And I got into that yoga class and I was fortunate enough to have a genuine Iyengar yoga teacher who, I mean, this was truly like her path in life. And she studied in India every year. And, you know, like she was a real deal yoga teacher. I did not know what I signed up for. And I hated yoga. <laughs> and it's and tough. I was, it, it's well, like a I, battle with the self sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I hated it mm. because I had so much physical body pain, anxiety, and my whole strategy in life was to get out of my body. And so I did not want to be here. Mm. It was very painful. So to have to be here. And be super present with being here. You know, yeah. You it don't get to escape. And at 19, like I didn't really have the emotional maturity for it. But I kept showing up 
And um, I was so, I was in so much pain from the injuries and my muscles were locked up. I couldn't touch the blocks. Like I could barely get my hand to my knee, like in a triangle pose. <laughs> so I was the stiffest one in the class, hypermobile, but stiff. And um, I signed up for the second semester and I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't like it at all, but something made me go. And I kept, I kept going with it because I knew it was going to unlock something for me. Even at that age, I had no idea what it, was, what it was. It was like I was standing on this tiny little piece of ice in an ocean, having no clue that I was on top of a huge iceberg. I just, I could feel that it was bigger, but all I could see was this tiny little piece of ice. And um, she ended up asking me if I wanted to train as a yoga teacher. So I did. I didn't know why I was saying yes. And I had no idea why she asked me. Yeah. Like, I'm the worst in <laughs> Have the Have you class. seen my I'm triangle a, pose? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a mess physically, emotionally, <laughs> mentally. I'm a wreck. So uh, the only thing I was good at was academics. And, um, and I, when I couldn't go to medical school, that was what I did was I studied yoga in depth. The reason I bring it up is because I had a lot of tools there. I had a lot of breathing practices and a yoga practice. I had a solid yoga practice. And at one point I practiced two to three hours a day and it did not reset my nervous system. It was helpful. And some of the breathing, like the alternate nostril breathing did oh. help my nervous system. Yeah, that's my favorite on, 3 a.m. strategy. Yeah. Like, come on, let's calm down. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't do it on its own. And I tell that story because I have a lot of people come to me and they go, well, I, I'm doing breathing and meditation. But what I found was in these kinds of issues of mold toxicity, where you have all this nervous system dysregulation or Lyme, Bartonella, these kinds of triggers in mass activation, we need some really targeted strategies. And my bachelor's, I when I couldn't go to medical school, then I finished in physiological psychology, which is the anatomy and physiology of how the mind works and the nervous system, how those work. And then I did my master's research on psychoneuroendocrinoimmunology, but how the mind states interact with the nervous system, immune system, hormone system, which is an established field of medical study. It's been established for 40 years. Nobody talks about it like we should be talking about it, but that's really how we work. We're not a nervous system here, an immune system here, and the gut over here, the way it's taught in anatomy. It's really, we need to teach how these are interwoven because that's how the body works. But what was a game changer was learning that there are two major controllers of sensitivities in the nervous system that are entwined with these mast cells. So one of them is the limbic system, which is in the brain. And the limbic system is a very evolutionarily older part of our brain. So it's part of the amygdala is part of it. And it's the fear emotion center. And we can think of it like having the mental processing, if you will, emotional processing is about a two or three-year-old. So most people don't realize we actually have different aspects of our brain that process at different levels. And this is why we can be so mature in one situation and then another situation have a total meltdown, right? Or we just get frozen and we're like trauma triggered and we can't figure out what the heck to do. 
well, sometimes the amygdala takes over and overrides the prefrontal cortex where we can be rational, make rational decisions. We actually make a lot of emotional decisions in life, way more than people like to realize, but we do. And that limbic system is there to protect us. It's also protective mechanism. We have a lot of mast cells in the limbic system, which I find really interesting. So they go together as defenders. So they work together to control behavior in terms of if we think how humans developed, I ate that plant, it made me really sick. I'm not gonna eat that plant again. So our limbic system muscles are developing that behavior pattern. And same thing like talk to that person. Oh, they blew up at me. I don't think I wanna talk to them again. That's our limbic system. But many of us have had early traumas who have mass activation syndrome and these complex chronic conditions. And that can be anything from experiencing abuse to, I was kicked in the head by a horse at nine years old and had a traumatic brain injury. That was pretty traumatic. Um, Witnessing trauma, being in a war zone or anything like this. I've worked with people around the world and people see all kinds of things as children that we wish we had a world where we didn't have to see or experience. Even having a surgery at a young age can be a trauma. Right. Can I add here, only because um, when you hear the word trauma, a lot of people then think to the absolute worst of things. Like, you know, you go straight, oh, well, I didn't wake up in a, a, you know, war zone every day as a five-year-old. So, you know, I should be fine, like get on with it. But are we associated with a war veteran, right? Right. And of course that is horrific, but little things, things that seem trivial, if you look at them as an adult, like um, something that came up for me when I was exploring alternative therapies, was my grandmother's completely irrational response to spiders Mm, and living, witnessing that, like once crawled across the windscreen on the outside, not even inside the car, on the major road in the area of Sydney that we were living and as a nine-year-old, veers off to the side, abandons the car, gets us to get out of the car and run home. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. that's ridiculous, right? Well, um, kind of, except she obviously had a horrible experience with spiders. And then this is how intergenerational stress works, right? Yes. So there's yes. actually both these behavioral observations like you mm-hmm. describe, but also there are mitochondrial changes. Yes. I have a yes. lot of people who are from Jewish ancestry. Interesting. And even if they it were adopted. There's a mitochondria. So they, you know, didn't grow up with anyone from a Jewish background. They were adopted, but they are genetically Jewish. And they, there are mitochondrial changes too that carry, that are inherited to carry trauma. But that's a perfect example. And another example, I was in a car accident four years ago. I was T-boned. Oh my gosh, Beth, you've had, you've had bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) car accident front and the horse jesus i I don't know i'm still looking at that what is that um but i i saw the car coming i knew i I couldn't stop it i slammed on my brakes but there was no way to get out of the way there were cars parked on both sides there was nowhere to go 
And so that was part of what made it harder, right? Was I had no escape. And the car just plowed right into me. And I was pretty badly injured. It took me three years to recover. I just had a full recovery about a year ago. And so the um, for the first two years, anytime I was driving, didn't matter which way somebody was coming, if they were coming towards my car, I tensed up, you know, yep. I was like bracing for them to hit me. And my husband's yep. like in the car, even if he's driving, I'm like, <gasps> and he's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a PTSD response. I couldn't control it. I could just witness it, know what it was and be gentle to myself. So we have, that's a perfect point. We have all these different levels. It doesn't have to be we're in a war zone. Mm. or anything like that yeah just kind of wanted to expand the definition so people can clue into things that they would have dismissed or thought that they were silly for including in their picture completely valid Mm. so like phobias anything like that and a lot of people have traumas they don't remember because we have a mechanism to not remember whether somebody has a trauma or not though it's very important we work with the limbic system and then the brain, and they're very specific methods. So we talked about the Gupta program before. That's one of my favorites, DNRS. These are the two premier programs for limbic rebooting that, that truly work for people. And then there's the vagal nerve. And I have found when we combine the limbic work with the vagal nerve work, that's what's magic. Now, I'm not, I'm going to use that word carefully because some people think, oh, it's going to cure everything. It doesn't. But it's 50% of the healing process in my practice. And I've found that. And if I had known that 20 years ago, I could have accelerated my healing so much more quickly. So what took me 20 years is taking people two to three to five years, yeah, depending on how sick they are. Yeah, it's huge. I like to think of it like gamification, you know, like a video game. And, you know, my son will go, oh, my gosh, I unlocked the magic chest or something, you know, in different levels. Exactly. And right. chronic like illness that. navigation is a little bit like that. It really is. So mm. that's a magic chest. It's not the princess in the castle. That yeah, shows you, you haven't defeated the that's final my- bad guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my, my video game. Yeah. But um, it's not it's not the final castle. But it is a major one on the way and truly 50% of the healing process. And so the vagal nerve work is very targeted as well. And the alternate nostril breathing is a little vagal work. And I think that's why it's so effective. It's one of the most effective yoga techniques that I've found. The other things, there are lots of things that work the vagal nerve. So there's specific vagal exercises. There's things people know, like yawning, gargling. There's a whole book called Accessing the Healing Power of the Vagal Nerve that has different exercises. Now, if anybody buys that, you have to do very gently because he tells you to look to extreme right, to extreme left. And for those of us with the nervous system dysregulation, it's too much. You got to modify it and be gentle. And then there's lots of other programs. There's audio programs like Safe and Sound Protocol that we do with our clients. We do things like Brain Tap. And there, there are really good options that I found tend to work the best. Not everything works for everybody, but I find people need one limbic program and then anywhere between two 
to five or six, sometimes more, depending on how dysregulated. I needed a lot because I was extremely ill. People aren't as ill, they don't need as much. Um, then we bring those together and then that calms the nervous system to where people can, where it calms the nervous system, which will calm the mast cells and then people can get things on board that they need for mm -hmm. their protocols. And Beth, you said two to five or six, two to five or six, what? Oh, vagal, different types of vagal support. Gotcha. So, so exercises. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's interested, we have a um, quiz on our website called the mast cell haywire quiz mm -hmm. and people can do that. And it tells you how dysregulated the nervous system is their tears. And then if people need more help here, I did a course called the mast cell nervous system reboot. It helps you build your own roadmap. So that it guides you through based on your quiz results, how do you, which, which modalities do you choose? And there's yeah. a whole roadmap to step through because it's a lot to navigate. I think and it I, is again, if I had this 20 years ago, I would have been well by, I would have been out in the clubs at 26 instead of, <laughs> yeah. you know, in my orthopedic shoes. Yeah. But, um, but I've got it now and it, that was what I wanted to share was so essential and many people have to start with the nervous system mm. so a lot of people come in and they've kept beating their heads against the wall trying to get supplements on board just like i did and so we just pause that if they're reacting to everything we back up we do the nervous system work and then that just opens this door where then mm. we can step through and start slowly building up absolutely well you can't take a supplement if your body is feeling that everything that you eat or take is dangerous. You need right. to fix the danger right. response first. And that's how we get foods back on board. Mm. People that need medications, they can't take them. That's where we get them. Now, they may have to be compounded because the excipients are triggered, mm. dyes, and titanium dioxide, things like this. But yeah, it's I, I don't ever feel like I have the right words to emphasize how monumental and how groundbreakingly important things. Yeah, I completely agree, completely. And I think we are such a pill-happy society. We, we lead with medication always, and it, whether natural or traditional, it's, you know, the nutraceutical industry is booming because we believe our answer is at the end of the next pill with the next glass of water we have. And... Um, and the, the more and there's a place for that. Of course there is. But Absolutely. That, it, I, I give people a pie chart and I say nervous system. This is the mass cell 360 approach. Hmm. Nervous system rebooting, mm -hmm. mass cell nervous system rebooting 50%. Yeah. Addressing your root triggers, 25%. The right foods, the right supplements, clean water, you know, making sure your air is clean, all of that, 25%. Hmm. Yeah, and without that 50%, you know, getting to the other 50% divided into two groups is um, is damn near impossible. Like it's yeah. never going to move you forward in the way that you seek. Right, right. Mm, huge. Okay, so you mentioned your triggers, mold, Lyme, Babesia. Um, there was one more in there. Bartonella. Um, Bartonella, thank you. Yeah. Um, are there other triggers that people need to be aware of and have on their radar when it comes to yeah. these dysregulated mast cells? Yeah. I want to talk about mold just briefly because 
it took me a while to realize how big of a trigger mold is. And it is now the number one root trigger. Now that I know to look for it, about 95% of people in my practice have mold toxicity. Most of them come in, they have no idea. And sometimes it takes a little bit for me to go, I'm just telling you, we have to look for this. You know, like you're paying money for this. So I'd recommend we do it because people don't, they think like if I didn't have visible mold in the walls, there's no way I have mold toxicity. But mold toxins are, this is an epidemic problem because of how we build our houses so much more tightly, humidity levels rise in the house. The even brand new houses, I've had people who who were rich, who built million dollar houses and to move in to get horribly sick and to find mold in the walls. And so the other things causing that are EMFs, are EMFs mold sees as a threat. We have EMF levels that mold did not evolve with. And it's preliminary research shows that it's growing perhaps up to 600 times faster in the presence of mold. So that's from um, Schumacher's work. And then there are people who are working to validate that. It's definitely growing faster. So this is, it's way bigger of an issue than it's ever been before. And mold is one of the biggest triggers of mass activation because it disrupts every system in the body, it disrupts the immune balance, it disrupts the mast cells, disrupts the nervous system. It's highly toxic, it's carcinogenic. Like if people have mold toxicity, you've got to get that out of your body. And you have to do it in a way that's gentle because these aggressive mold protocols, I have a woman who was put on aggressive mold protocol and it triggered ovarian cancer because, because the molds were pushed out way too quickly. Right. And is and that then, on like a high dose cholestyramine kind of program or? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And high dose glutathione too fast. Mm. And so we have to do this thoughtfully and methodically mm-hmm. and in a way that's not going to worsen what's happening as we go. Now she had astronomical levels, second highest levels I've ever seen. So that's not going to happen for everybody. I just want, if there's any practitioners listening, I'm on a bandwagon about this. Yeah, it's huge. Got to be gentle, mm. and so we have the mold toxins. It, it's very rare for me to see somebody in my practice without it, without mold toxicity. And this is why we're doing we're doing a course that's going to come out um, this year on mold precision mold detoxification for sensitive people. Fantastic, so and needed. This, yeah, I'm super excited about it because this is based on research I've been doing with. Um, colleagues Emily Givler and Neil Nathan and Joe Matthews. Oh, I love Neil Nathan. Big fangirl. Yeah. So we've been doing massive literature reviews, pulling actual data because the mold protocols were developed on on observation and what people thought would work. But glutathione is being used heavily. And then there's things like um, pectisol being used as a binder. There's no research literature showing it's effective. It may be effective, we don't know. But now we have mapped out, if you have these mold toxins, these binders are the most effective. And we're continuing to do research. And Joe Mather is gonna actually do some studies on this, I'm super excited about. And we're gonna get even more honed in and nuanced. So we're really on the cutting edge here. And then phase two detox, people are mostly using glutathione. 
well, I did an extensive study and um, literature review and with Emily Gibbler, and we mapped out phase two detoxification of mold toxins. And guess what the number one pathway is for mold toxins? It's not glutathione, it's glucuronidation, which almost no one supports. But that is, there are a couple mold toxins like okra toxin that use glutathione and glucuronidation. And for example, acetylation, a couple use glucuronidation. I know I'm getting technical here, but you know, they use a few pathways, but almost across the board, they all use glucuronidation. So we, we need to be really honing this for what we know in the research literature. And then we can help people heal. So we, in, in a more comprehensive way, because we want these mold toxins out entirely. So we can actually truly get them out. Cholestyramine does not bind all the mold toxins. It only, we only have research evidence on two. And so if you have the others and you're only doing cholestyramine, you're stuck. And that's why some people don't improve on that protocol. And a lot of people react to it. It's not mm, hard. It's not for so, me, that's for sure. It did not Yeah, work. and it, it's, it's okay for some people. I'm not bashing. Oh, some people you know, it has been like the most amazing a, transformation. Exactly. Yeah. But what, what, what I want people to know is I work with the people that fall through the cracks. Yeah. So that's what this is for mm. and the sensitive people. Oh, I will be the first to shout out about that course from the rooftops because it's it's so important to realize just how individual an approach needs to be taken, how well you need to know your unique situation to move forward. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And so talking about unique situations, in addition to mold, we have food triggers and we talk about histamines, but lectins are a trigger for mast cells, not not everyone is lectin sensitive, but lectin. Oh, thank God are... I'm not. I love chickpeas so much. <laughs> no, it's like well, if you pressure cook them, you're gonna really knock down. Yeah, the I, I cook them, I soak them, I do all the right things. Yeah, so, yeah. If you yeah. pressure cook them, then mm. you're probably in good shape as long as your gut's doing okay. Mm. But the lectins, if we're not pressure cooking those lectin foods, so there's gonna be things like you talk about the chickpeas, the legumes, any kind of beans, peas, soybeans. Most of our grains, wheat, corn, quinoa, um, these are rice. Rice is not as high lectin. White rice is lower lectin than brown. But most of our grains are, are lectins. Things like um, pumpkin, it's also high histamine, but squashes, summer squash and winter squashes, those are lectins. Tomatoes, eggplants, it's part of why those nightshades are all lectins, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers. These are often people are told to stop eating those if they have arthritis. What's the lectins that are triggering people? Mast cells actually have a lectin receptor. It's the same receptor that the mast cells use to detect fungal species like mold and candida. Isn't that interesting? So this is why anybody who comes to my practice, I ask them to do Almost everybody kind of depends. If they're really limiting their foods, I don't ask people to change to limit foods. But if they're not limited and they're figuring out where to start, then we do low histamine and low lectin for six to eight weeks and see where we get the food triggers. And even things like in the processed foods, the um, preservatives, the flavorings, potassium sorbate, sodium benzoate, things like titanium dioxide that are in a lot of supplements have titanium dioxide. It should not be in there at all. They're pharmaceutical brands that 
are supposed to be super clean that have titanium dioxide absolutely should not be in there but people just don't know you know they, so that's why like your program that you're doing your um this you're talking about the goal low talks program this is where you know we're getting this education out to people yeah exactly and it's there and then once you know you're good then you got to look for it but it's a lot to learn yeah. you know you got to learn over time and I like how you're doing your approach where you get a little bit each day and, mm. and absorb it. And then we have other chemicals like in our environment, like formaldehyde and new cabinets, new clothing. I yeah. used to feel so sick. I still don't like going, I can't go in a fabric store. I hate mm. a Oh, I store. know the, the it's, vapor that is it's formaldehyde. in there. It's disgusting. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, when I was doing dissection labs, we still used formaldehyde back then. Then it changed it. Formaldehyde is so toxic, but any new clothes, you should always wash new clothes. Don't ever put new clothes on because that new clothes smell is formaldehyde. New, new car smell, VOCs in our furniture, all these things, these are triggers. And um, heavy metals are triggers. Anything in the toxin world can be a trigger. And then we have hormone imbalances, but again, we have to go, well, why? Is it mold causing it? We have chronic infections. These are going to be like chronic Lyme is one of the most common. Chronic Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia, Ehrlichia, any of those co-infections, chronic Epstein-Barr, the HHV viruses, all these things. But again, I go, why? Why are we not, why is our immune system not fighting it off? Why do so many people get bitten by ticks who don't get Lyme and they don't get sick? And it was a Lyme tick and then some people do. And I found over and over, and I learned this from Neil Nathan as well, that often for those people, mold toxicity has been addressed. So now I have a teaching slide I use when I teach at functional medicine conferences of a tower of blocks. And the bottom block is mold. And then we have Lyme that sits up here, hormone imbalances, insomnia, gut issues, all these things. And if we don't pull the mold out, then we're going to try to take a block out and it's just going to go back in. We're never, this is where people are on antibiotics for years. The Lyme's probably gone. But these are symptoms because the mold hasn't been addressed. 100%. And I know that's why I was so seriously EMF sensitive is because I'm not done with my mold recovery. Yeah. And mm. mold causes us, to, it causes hypermobility because it affects the collagen, the connective tissue and the joints. Mm. Getting the mold out of my body reversed my hypermobility 50%. Wow. And it, it was so significant, Alex, that I could just cough and I would have ribs become subluxed. Mm-hmm. And I have my own activator, those little punching tools that the chiropractor uses. Oh, yep, yep. So I can just punch it back into place because I cough and then like <laughs> they couldn't breathe, you know. And so that that's all down by 50%. And I'm still doing my own mold detox because I had some of the highest levels I've ever seen as well. But I think my tissues are gonna be in good shape when I get the mold out. Like I don't think you're gonna have as much hypermobility at all. Yeah, that's so but interesting because I had horrific hypermobility as well. And I, and you know, it, it's a double-edged sword because you can be in your yoga class doing pigeon pose and your instructor can be going like, wow, look at you go. You're just so flexible. And that's thought to be such a good thing in our society. But the negative side of that is yeah. too much flexibility ain't a good thing either. Cause there's a reason that that's occurring. 
I actually hurt myself doing so much yoga because I, my, all that stiffness was my muscles being spasmed to hold my joints in place. And once I got those muscles stretched out, there was nothing to hold my joints. And then I was in severe pain. And so I actually backed off of the yoga. I don't do any stretching now that I'm hypermobile. Now that I know I am. Now, once I, I do think that that's going to recover because of the recovery we've had so far. I do think that that's probably going to be, if not 100%, at least 75 to 90%. And at that point, then I'll do stretching again and I can do those yoga poses. But I went to strengthening with a hypermobile specialist, physical therapist, and that was really helpful. But you touched on EMFs, and EMFs are a big trigger of mast cell activation. Well, solid research on it. So many people still think EMFs are just this woo-woo thing. I know, right? A lot of my friends would have said that until it happened to me. And yeah, and uh, and I kind of would have said, look, yes, we need to switch off our modems at night. You know, yes, do try and live not too close to towers. Of course, I walked into my own trap with unidentifiable towers visually recently. Yeah. Um, so I knew the basics, but I had no idea how bad it could feel. Like oh, it was yeah. honestly like I've never lived inside of a microwave, but if one had to live inside a microwave, I'm pretty sure I've experienced it. It was unbelievable. Skin crawling electricity yeah. was just horrific. It can cause all kinds of symptoms and there's clear research evidence. I wrote a whole post on this and mm, it's a brilliant a post and I'll research. pop it in the, I'll put it in the oh, show notes because it's thank you. very thank helpful. You so much. Yeah. Yeah. And the clear evidence that EMFs are triggering immediate mass cell degranulation, particularly in the brain. And so that's going to cause brain inflammation mm-hmm. and the, there are things that make this worse. The so mold toxins affect what are called the voltage dependent calcium channels. These are channels in the cells and the cell membrane that allow calcium in. And when calcium gets in, it increases glutamate and glutamate, if too much of it is inflammatory, causes overstimulation of the nervous system. And when it gets really too high, this is part of that when we were talking about fireworks in the brain mm. or you talked about, you had a certain way of describing it. What was it that you said? The, really um, fireworks in the brain, like my head lit up like a Griswold Christmas house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that glutamate and inflammation going. Crazy. Thank God Chevy Chase made me laugh during a really dark <laughs> time. Like it's, I love comedy when I'm feeling um, medically challenged. I think it's very therapeutic. <laughs> Well, that's part of what's happening. Mold causes these changes in cells that cause you to be more sensitive EMFs. Lime, Bartonella does the same thing. Heavy metals in our bodies will actually, because the metals are polarized and they're going to respond, even though it's on a microscopic level, it's still happening. And any metal in the body. And so with, I have the orthodontics and I'll talk about another trigger is airway but I have the braces because my airway was so narrow and it was so narrow from just generations of poor nutrition and Weston A. Price did a lot of work in that yeah, area. It's an incredible time. seminal work that was it unfortunately is. largely ignored, but. Well, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's so important. So our dental arch has been getting narrow and narrow with generations. 
And mine was so narrow that, and then my tongue's so swollen from the GI inflammation and the gut infections that I've had. That we haven't even talked about gut infections. Mm, I, I'm feeling a part two coming on, Beth. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, so my tongue could not fit. It, there wasn't space for my tongue. And our tongues, most people don't realize, our tongues actually attach to them, like right above the sternum, mm-hmm. not far above the sternum, deep in the throat. We have long tongues. They're not just like attaching yeah. the back of the jaw. We have long tongues. And so if your tongue can't get the, have the natural reflexes because the dental arch is wide enough, the, the dental arch creates these reflexes in the tongue that guide the tongue up and it should naturally dome and rest on the top of the mouth, like right kind of a little behind the front teeth. Mm-hmm. We talk about that in yoga all the time. Let your yeah. tongue relax. I couldn't do that. I was like, what the heck are they doing? That is so hard. It's like mm. my jaw is clenching. And yeah. They can't keep it up there. And then you end up with the mouth breathing, which sets off a whole bunch of other stuff. I was, I mouth breathed. Yeah. I mm. trained myself out of it. Well, eventually I found my way to one of the country's best sleep orthodontists here in the States. I'm very fortunate that he's in my city. And he has worked with me. This has been two and a half years. I've still got a long way to go, <clears throat> but we've got it where my tongue can finally lift up and dome correctly. Now that airway, what was happening though, was it was sliding back into my throat and it was blocking off 70% of my airway when I was standing. So you could wow. see it on the x-rays. And then when I laid down, it was worse. It was part of the insomnia. Mm. And then if you can't get enough oxygen, that triggers more mast cell activation, more inflammation. So that's another trigger. But then um, going back to the orthodontics, the braces in my mouth, it's stainless steel, have made me so much more EMF sensitive. So I yeah. can't hug You're my You're a conductor, husband. literally a woman. I'm a conductor. It's like I feel like an antenna. So I can't mm. hug my husband if his phone's in his back pocket. My gosh. And he's an IT guy. And so like a very high level IT guy, yes. you know, so he always wants me to have the great latest and greatest technology. So he got me a new monitor. Like I have these two extra monitors here for my appointments. So I can have the documents all out and see everything. We got me this new monitor just last weekend and set it up for me. And I sat down and I was getting a migraine just on this side of my head. And I'm like, this is weird. And then I was getting heart palpitations. This side of my head was fine. I was like, I know what this is. So I got out my meter and I'm measuring like the EMFs here and here and here and that monitoring entire EMFs. So we had to swap it out. I'm like, you can't do it. Mm, it's like when I, when, because we've had to inspect a fair few properties this past year. Um, when we're inspecting, I always wait for the final groups to leave so that I can get an accurate EMF reading because if people have phones on, uh, oh, yeah. you can forget actually knowing what the real EMF readings are because they're often the highest exposures that we have. I can't be in a crowd because mm, everybody has. Now, when I was in my 20s and everybody didn't have a cell phone or we just had flip phones, mm. I didn't have trouble being in crowds or like going yeah. to a concert, but I really struggle now because of all um, of that. The less EMF website in New York, the guys who um, sell all the 
yeah. clothing. Like I just, I just wear my t-shirt and my, I've got beautiful tracky pants from them as well. Oh, that's I, a good idea. I haven't tried that yet. Well, it's just fabulous. Cause you can, it's quite a low neck, so you can put it under things, especially in the States where you guys are a bit colder for a bit longer in the year. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a game changer and it means you can oh, go to I'm a concert. To close the try. I've been looking at them. I've yeah, done all yeah. kinds of stuff. Like I'm all wired and pushed. Everything's pushed back. Yeah. Really, um, really useful. Cell phones very low enough, but I'm going to try the clothing. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, so, so many symptoms, so many triggers. Um, I want to wrap today up somehow. And I think, uh, you know, your website just has so many fantastic resources. And I really would love to do a part two because we we haven't gone into much of the solutions today. Um <laughs> But, I mean, you've got so many solutions on your website, uh, but I think it would be great to do another chat. If you had to point people towards a couple of the resources that you have, um, I'm going to put my hand up and say your supplement uh, webinar that you do, um, and you have that as a ready-to-buy-anytime product, which means people can Mm -hmm. access it today. So that's me getting you started on the awesome things that you provide. You share a couple as well. Yeah, I would tell people, number one, um, and and I try to have things at different levels for people because not everybody has financial resources. So number one, go to our website, read the nervous system blog posts, and then find our Facebook, our Facebook um, page and community. And it's just called Mass Cell 360. And I do free Facebook lives most Mondays. I just did one on Mass Cell 101. And read the, watch the nervous system ones. And then take the nervous, mass cell nervous system reboot. So that would be step number one. And I keep these low cost so people can afford them. And they are very affordable. Hmm. And we, I try to pack it in. I mean, it's, it's a lot of info. Um, and then once you do get the nervous system reboot going, then take the supplement course. And I, again, keep that low cost as well. But if you're tolerating supplements, you could do both simultaneously. If you're not tolerating supplements or foods, start with the nervous system and then do the supplement one. And then after that, we've got the mold course will be out this year. Do the mold course, make sure that you don't have mold toxicity because if you're listening to this and these things are clicking, they sound like you, you probably do have it. And it'll step you through how to find out, how to test yourself. We're going to have pieces on environmental mold and things like that. And then I also just want to say to, to do your Golotox because there's so much in toxins and to make sure to check those out. And I really think, I'm really excited about that too. And I think these weave together nicely. Yeah, they do because, um, and thank you for mentioning it because I just think a lot of people still don't realize what our day-to-day common exposures are. And it's not, you said this earlier, it's not about alarming people that everything's trying to kill you because that's not helpful either if we want to heal. Certainly not helpful for our nervous systems, but it is to know that you can make a difference with most of what you do and that then sets you up to be able to go with the flow every now and then when you get hit by something and not panic if you're in a bathroom stall and one of those horrific psh, things times off and you're like, no, and it becomes like a Mission Impossible movie where you're like, <laughs> get me the heck out of here. Um, 
like now I'm in a place where I can go, ugh, that's disgusting. And then just get out of there. It's fine. Three, four years ago, I was in a place where I would dread using public bathrooms because I would be set off for days. Yeah. Well, you got your toxin bucket lowered. Exactly. The lower it is. Empty that bucket. We have. Yeah. But also, you know, I missed out on my 20s and 30s because I was sick and really my teens. I mean, I didn't get to do the things my friends were doing. I did things. It's not like I was only at home, but it was very limited, very controlled, very, very planned. Even just to go out of town was months of planning. But um, my goal in life is to be dancing when I'm 100 and in good quality of life. And to do that, I want to keep my toxins low because they're carcinogenic. I want to reduce the types of chronic illness or cancers that occurred from long, long exposure to these things. So I'm setting myself up for the long game and I'm going to have a good, good time oh my as gosh. I get older. So good. I feel the same way, Beth. Um, my 40s so far, I'm 45, were feel like I didn't get to have them. I didn't get to do the things that a lot of my friends have done. I haven't gotten to um, uh, live to my fullest, let's say, yeah. from yeah. illness. And uh, just late last year, a guy at our tennis club, I was able to start playing tennis again, which is my favourite sport in the world, um, which was just such a huge win physically for me, mentally as well. Yeah. Um, he won an international 85s and over um, competition. And so I have set myself the goal to win that same competition of women's division in 40 years time. My coach thinks That's I can exciting. do it. <laughs> well, one of my goals is actually to go to Australia. Oh, And then to brilliant. go to New Zealand. That's been on my bucket list. And I want to get to scuba the the barrier reef oh it is something to behold it's so beautiful yeah we're working hard to protect it too yeah Mm. I hear that it's 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 working but I just want to leave people with that if you keep going there are answers no matter how dark it gets and I have seen people come back from having 20 30 seizures a day I've seen people come back from cancers that were now I'm not an oncology expert but I have been a part of teams where people came back from cancers I've been part of teams where people came back from Alzheimer's and just amazing things by really working on these root pieces and I am in the best health I've been in my whole life in my 40s I feel better than I did as a child I feel better than I did in high school and it keeps getting better every year as I get these toxins out and I get healthier. And I think by the time I'm 50, I'm going to be unstoppable. I've never been able to run. And I think I'm going to be able to run. Oh, you're going to run. Okay. I want I've to. never been able to run either. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll join you in that challenge. I'm excited. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, come so to Australia I, and we'll do a running track. There you go. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> so I just want to give people that. Um, I think it helps when we have what I think of as like a bar razor. Like yes. a lot of times we get our sights set on, well, if I could just get here. Mm. It's like, yeah. And what if you could get here? Yeah. Like how amazing would that be? And for many people, and I'm not saying this is true for every person, so there are exceptions, but for many people, that truly is possible. Mm. 
It is. Thank you so much for finishing with a message of hope because a lot of people are just wading through darkness uh, and and just right this minute maybe not feeling hopeful. Um, And I love that we've been able to bring your story uh, for people new to the podcast, a little bit of mine as well, and I'll put a ton of resources in the show notes today to connect you with Beth's work um, and some of my mold resources. And I'm just so excited that we've got your course coming up as well, because that's going to be uh, crucial for so many people to really start to heal at a deep level. So thank you for joining me, Beth. Absolutely wonderful chatting to you today. Uh, and I can't wait to dive in more next time. Thank you so much, Alex. I just want to really genuinely thank you for getting these messages out there and helping me get this critical info out to people. Oh, well, that is a deep pleasure. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at lowtoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.